Welcome to Tales from the Chalk Line. This week, I, Ann Schwartz, your host, talk to Tina Cardone. Tina Cardone is the loveliest person I know. My mom makes fun of me because I always describe her as that. But she really, really is. And she also saved my butt by being on the podcast this week because, well, it has been a rough two weeks. We are seven days from the end of the school year over here and I am tired and I didn't arrange to talk to someone. I do have three guests lined up for the next little bit so get excited about that. Four possibly even. I'm going to start recording these ahead of time like a smart person would do. Um, I hope that you are having a great May because man I am so ready for it to be May. Let me tell you, we Tina and I talked about special ed and class sizes and busing and nixing the tricks, which is Tina's thing, and foster parenting and foster children in our classrooms and respect and all sorts of other interesting things. But before you listen to that, let me play for you. Let me tell you this week's syllabus. You should read Lonnie's post on creating a sense of belonging in the math classroom. She sent me a a message that was like, I'm feeling your vibe in this. And she's 100% right. I am big on building a sense of belonging in the math classroom. Tina even references Lonnie later in the podcast. So listen carefully for that. Um, To listen to, um, Stuff Your Mother Never Told You is a great podcast. I don't know if you listen to that or not. Um, And I wouldn't recommend listening to all of them. They put out like one or two a week, but they do really good research. So I started listening to them because they talked about Gilmore Girls, which I love more than life. But also this week they talked about Hillary Rodham Clinton from like childhood to first ladyhood. And they didn't talk, they talked about all the work she did before, which I did not know a lot about and thought was super interesting. And lastly, to watch, you might want to watch this Vine. Um, You need to watch it with sound on. Um, I might have showed it to all of my children because I thought it was so funny. Um, Yeah, prepare yourself. But it's amazing. The link is in my blog. So I hope you enjoy my chat with Tina. She's amazing. And I hope that your week is awesome. Chalk line. All right. Who are you and what pronouns do you prefer? I am Tina Cardone, and I use she and her. Awesome. Uh, Where are you, and what does your classroom look like? I live in Salem, Massachusetts, and I also teach in Salem, Massachusetts, so it's fun times teaching and living in the same. It's technically a city, but it feels like a small town most of the time. Um, It's not very big. (laughs) And my classroom, I have been lucky enough to have reasonably small classes and a reasonably large classroom. So I managed to split my classroom into two parts. And so there's one part where like kids are sitting in pairs and all sort of facing towards the projector. And then there's another like big group work table. Um, And so it's nice to have space to sort of move between those two different options and for me to be able to pull kids over and be like, all right, just come all sit around me and we're going to have little table time. It's like carpet square time, but for big kids. How, um, How small are small classes? I have a contained... So every student in that class has a math disability. Okay. Um, and that class currently has seven. Wow. It had two in August <laughs> before when I looked up my class list. And I was like, no, I can't have a class of two. Like, that's not a class. Because I have a co-teacher. It's a co-taught class of seven. So that's just They're tutoring. They're teachers. Yes, it is. It's entirely tutoring. And, I mean, they're kids that are at the level where they need a lot of individualized attention. But it's really hard to run class when you're trying to, like, gather data and do things where it's like, oh, let's have a bunch of examples and then let's see what happens. Or let's all try this thing and then see what we notice. When you only have five kids on an average day, then it's not a lot of noticing that's happening. So it's been a struggle. Um, And then I have a class of 17 that was up to 20 at one point. Um, That's a regular Algebra 1 class, also co-taught, so that's inclusion. So those half of the students have math learning disabilities, but they're not as severe as the contained class. And then I have one class of 24 honors pre-calculus students. That's half juniors and half seniors. So I have one like regular size class. 
So you have three preps and three total classes. I have five total blocks where I teach. Okay. Um, the contained class meets every day, and we run an A-B schedule. So most classes meet either on the A day or the B day, not both. Right. Um, but they meet for 90 minutes every day because they have such substantial learning disabilities. And then the other class, I meet with all 17 of my students one of those days. And then with the group of them that need extra support, um, which was at one point I had 20 kids in the whole class and 15 in the support block, which was just silly, <laughs> right? Like that, that's not, that's a just support. like having that's a just, class. Yes. It's just like, we're all going to meet every day. Yeah. Um, now we're down to nine in the support block. My number has changed so frequently that I don't even know. You'd think that it's like almost June. I would know how many kids are in my classes, but I have no idea. <laughs> Is it typical in Massachusetts for class sizes to be that small? Um, they're usually maxed out at 30, at least at both of the schools that I've been at, um, and of people that I've talked to around here. Um, so like in your teacher contract, it says that classes will not be any larger than 30. My extremely small classes are because I teach the students with the disabilities. Um, so 24 is our smallest of our three honors pre-calc classes. Okay. Wow. Uh, this year my classes are small and that's 32 and 34. I know I read that and I'm like, what? That's crazy. Like last, we last year Sometimes had... they like squish a 31st person and they're like, they have to ask you special permission if they're allowed to put a 31st child in your classroom. And sometimes you're like, yes, like clearly their schedules don't work out. They have like right. banned one block and something else. And you're like, yeah, you can put a 31st person in like really the difference between 31 and 30 is insignificant. But um, I know. And then I read about your classes and everybody else in California. And I'm like, oh, that's really different. <laughs> when I taught in Lawrence, um, th- that was a problem a few years before I got there. So the year that I got there was their first year in a new building. Mm-hmm. But they told stories about when they were in the old building. And kids would complain that they, like, didn't get a desk, that they had to, like, sit at, like, the file cabinet in the back. And the response, the only response they could give was, well, you got to get to class earlier if you want to have a desk. It's like, what a crazy world are you living in that the answer to I don't have a desk is be to class early. So someone else doesn't have a desk. Right. Yeah. Your answer to I don't have a desk is get yourself a desk. <laughs> Survival At the expense of somebody else. Yes. yes. <laughs> Damn. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So then they, they did get a new building and then everybody fit once we were in the new building, but. They were doing some crazy, like, split schedule thing for a while to fit everybody in. Because in, you're teaching some sort of very wide range of teaching. Um, yes. How does your teaching or your school look the same or different than the teaching or school you went to? Very different. Um, so I grew up in, like, the epitome of white privilege. Um, we had a bus in from the... So I grew up in West Hartford and we bused kids in from Hartford and that was like our diversity was kids that we brought in from the city. Which is always um, Yeah. And that's like that line of like, and then I was listening to, was it a This American Life that did that? Um, I think it was a This American Life that did that series on, and it included the Hartford schools. And I was thinking back and I was like, oh. I think that friend I had did actually live on the other line, the other side of the line, but it never like occurred to me that like, oh, she didn't live in town because I didn't drive at that point. I had no idea where town lines were or anything like that. Um, but it was like, oh yeah, she was a part of that program. And I like really had no idea, which in some place, cases is good that like we didn't mm-hmm. notice that those kids were like the other and like, oh my God, that kid rides that bus as opposed to. Right. Um, but at the other, on the other end of it, like we did know that the only source of diversity was kids that were from outside of town, which is not a good place to be in. Um, and so, yeah, so we had like a crazy music program that had all of the things that it needed and um, all of the classes. And we do at the high school that where I teach now have all of those things, but they have to work really hard to get them. Mm. Um, like we have to write a lot of grants. We have to do a lot of fundraising. We have to do a lot of work in order to have a quality 
um, music program. And in order to keep the AP classes, we have to run some special pre-AP grant. And there's like funding and all sorts of other things that have to happen that go into it that just wouldn't have in my high school. Yeah, I feel that. Um, okay. Tell people who have never met you before, I'm going to ask you more questions about this. Tell them a little bit about <laughs> Nick's The Tricks and why you do it. Okay. So it is a community combined effort of the MITBUS where at one point I was talking to my math department and was like, oh, the calculus teacher is really annoyed that we only teach slope as rise of a run. And she really wishes that we would use the word rate of change. And then we just sort of like went off on this conversation of like, oh, what are all the other things that we really hate when they come up from elementary or middle school or previous teachers at the high school um, with and sort of started a list. And then I put that list on a Google Doc and then I posted it on Twitter and then Twitter did its amazing thing that it usually does (laughs) and just magically like wrote it wasn't a book like I had to do a lot of writing in order to make it a book but basically wrote all of the content that we needed in order to make a book and so then now there is a comprehensive book of things that we wish teachers would not teach and appropriate replacements for them so that you can teach with concepts as opposed to just like memorize something or make something cute do you have a favorite example in there of something you absolutely hate (laughs) I just really like the picture that I made for the butterfly method (laughs) like because I made I didn't want to take somebody else's picture and put it in the book because I didn't want to be calling out anybody in particular and also copyright issues. Um, so I like made an image for each of the different tricks. And so what is the butterfly method? Is that, is that, so you're adding fractions. Yeah. So it's cross multiply for adding fractions. And so there's like wings and then there's antenna and then there's like the body of the thing underneath because you like multiply the denominators and then you multiply it on the diagonal and then you add the things that are add, are on the diagonal and it's just like horrific. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah, but some of the ones where I got to make cute pictures like that and the man on the horse for dividing, like I got to have fun doing little like stick figure art. <laughs> Those are my favorite. I'm just going to keep shaking my head. No one on the podcast can see it, but holy shit. She's doing a great job of shaking her head. I literally do not understand. No. My biggest pet peeve, which is like not a trick, is the the eighth graders who come in as freshmen and are sure it is called the commutative property. <laughs> they're like 100% sure it is. Yeah. Because they're eighth grade. They're sure their eighth grade teacher said commutative property. Yes. I know there's so many things that they're so sure of. Like X equals one. That's my favorite. They're like, oh, X always equals one. I was like, I'm pretty sure what your teacher meant is that there's a one in front of the X because there's one X that's there. That's not the same as X equaling one. No. Weirdly, it's not. (laughs) The answer to every equation is not one. That would be nice. Otherwise, math would be, right? Less less necessary. (laughs) Yeah. Less. Certainly simpler. Right? Um, you applied to, we were talking at one point, you are applying to talk about, it's a talk about Mix the Tricks, right, at NCTM next year? Yes. And yes. what did you end up writing in the Why It Promotes Equity box? Did you oh, yeah. something? <laughs> so um, in that box, I put that it was really important to allow all students the opportunity to understand the math. Um, and because I feel like often we prove things in upper level classes and sometimes we prove things in the honors level class, but when you have the standard level class, maybe the teacher shows the proof and then just sort of glides along past it and then says, all right, here's just the method of how you're going to do it. Don't, you don't need to remember that. That's not going to be on the test. And in the lower level classes, they just don't even bother showing you anything Mm -hmm. about why this is true. It just is. Um, And I find it especially frustrating because I teach so many special ed students um, that their teachers just don't think that they can learn it. And it's like, you can, you really, they they can. And in fact, it would be way easier for all of my kids who have substantial memory disabilities to learn just what the definition of an exponent is, as opposed to all six exponent rules that we try and teach. Because if you just write out the exponent every time, then they'd be done. And I love my co-teacher dearly, but 
she like learned the exponent rules and then was excited about them and then wants all the kids to use the shortcuts, but they keep forgetting the shortcuts. And so instead of going back to like writing it out so that they could just do it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, she wants to like show them the rule. And I'm like, the rule's really nice if they can do it, but if they can't, like writing it out is just fine. Write it five times, write all 20 of the Y's and cancel (laughs) them with all 16 of the Y's on the bottom. (laughs) Yeah. It's okay. Right. And if the kid is really tired of it and if they're frustrated with writing out 20 Y's, then absolutely. Like, let's say, yes, let's find a better way. Let's figure out an easier way to do this. But if the kid doesn't mind sitting there writing out 16 Y's, then that's okay. And also most of the kids, once they've done that four or five times, most kids start to see them and know what's going to be left when they cancel. Exactly. And that's how we did it. Like we started because obviously it's my class. Um, we derived them. And so we did all of them with a lot of numerical examples. And then we looked at those numerical examples and we saw if we could generalize and we wrote the rule. We had a great debate about teaching them this year because they are in our freshman unit five, if you're interested. I don't know why I said that, but they are in our freshman year yes. curriculum. And Someone else is teaching junior year, which I do not teach. And they're like, we need to because they need them for log stuff later. They're like super important in the log stuff. And I'm like... If you want to teach log rules, then you do in fact need exponent rules. Right. Yeah. And it's this sort of interesting. Um, uh, do you follow Brian Lawler on Twitter? I know his name. Okay. Um... So either people retweet his stuff enough or I follow him. I'm really bad at knowing who I follow. (laughs) He um, was my prof in college, um, my ed prof, and he's pretty active in the MitBoss, sort of. Uh, But he tweeted an article this morning um, that a man had written that I am going to write a very angry response to because I was pissed when I read it about, like, why do we teach algebra this and that? Like, it was an angry, like, why are we teaching these children algebra post? Got it. Yeah. to, To which I just want to be like... I hate you so much. Um, yes. But I think, <laughs> because we can. That's why. I think there's something like, incredibly satisfying about figuring out an exponent rule. Yeah. And especially... Yeah, I was reading... Yeah. Um, this book right here, <laughs> Brain Rules. Cool. Um, and so it's just like about how your brain works and he took a whole bunch of research and sort of put it together and made it accessible um and one of the studies in it was like if you show people a math problem and you show them a method to solve it but you don't show them the shortcut um and then show the problems to them again 12 hours later then like 30 percent of them will figure out the shortcut all on their own um and then if you show it to them and then have them sleep for a solid eight hours in between and then show it to them again. Still 12 hours later, but this time like evening to morning, um, like 60 or 70% of them will figure out the shortcut, even not knowing that there's supposed to be a shortcut. And so it was just about like sleep is super important in your brain's processing. But it was that idea of like, people can figure things out all by themselves (laughs) that was shown in this research study that wasn't even about math. Tiffany, who I teach with, goes on these rampages about the fact that we teach the freshmen the quadratic formula, but they don't know where it comes from yet. Uh. And we derive it sophomore year, but we don't do completing the square freshman year. Right. So if you don't do completing the square, there's like something weird in this box, sorry. If you don't do completing the square, (laughs) teaching them the quadratic, showing them the quadratic formula still has a magical step in it. Yeah, we do in pre-calc, like an overview of like, here are the four different methods that you have to solve quadratics. Let's look at a whole bunch of different types, like decide which ones are most efficient. And then it's literally up to you. Like you've made it to honors pre-calculus. I do not care how you solve this, but I'm going to tell you that I personally complete the square like all the time. And they're like, I hate completing the square. It's like, cause you don't know how to do it. <laughs> so then we go over it and we like show that it's actually a square and we fill in the square and then half of them are like, Oh, this is easier. And it use it works every time. And like, because factoring only works in those really specific instances, mm-hmm. and graphing only works if I give you nice numbers. But completing the square works for everything. And it's just the quadratic formula, but then I don't have to remember the quadratic formula, because they can't remember the quadratic formula half the time. <laughs> yeah, our, um, our textbook does the completing the square with the picture and everything nice. uh, in 10th grade, but it's in 10th grade. Um, yeah. 
And I actually watched a lesson where we're working very hard this year on productive struggle. So how do we get kids <laughs> to struggle? And it was a struggle. <laughs> was it productive? <laughs> yeah. I'm finding that I think in productive struggle, you as a teacher have to be okay with the fact that 30% of the class is not going to struggle. Like they're not going to try. Right. Because they, they're so vastly uncomfortable. Yeah. And even if one of them tries one day, they might not the next. Yes. And also the percent that's going to try in September is really different than the percent that's going to try in May. Yeah. Uh, and this was April. So they were pretty comfortable with the teacher. But I don't know that nice. we have been consistent enough with that. Right. And next year it might be better. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, and even sometimes it's just the class because I had a class one year where it wasn't the contained class, but it basically was all kids that had either a math learning disability or like some really extensive anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at the beginning of the year, things were pretty rough, like nobody really trusted each other. And then we like built up a community and I was so excited and we were like finally in this place where this was my favorite class. And then they threw another kid in the class. Oh, the and worst. And it just, like all of them shut down because now there's this new kid and I don't trust this new kid. And like, is he going to think that I'm dumb because I like don't have a lot of confidence in my math or I don't have a lot of confidence in myself. And then we like, we're doing something one day and... The new kid was like, why are you always so hard on me? Um, like, why are you always yelling at me? And I was like, oh, like, I don't mean to be yelling at you, but the rest of us have, like, this relationship, and we sort of understand what the rules are, and you haven't figured out how this class works yet, and so I'm trying to tell you about how this class works. I'm sorry that it feels like I'm picking on you. Like, I don't know how to make that work. Um, but it just, that class, like, it just kept happening. Like, they just kept, like new kid every month and we'd like finally get to a place where everybody was comfortable and then they'd put in that one new person and it just really brought home that you know idea that Lonnie has talked about before that if you count relationships it's not how many students you have it's how many relationships there are between all of the students in that classroom so adding one new kid to a class of 13 kids one teacher means we have to build 14 new relationships. Like every person in that room has to trust that new kid in order to really continue where we had left off. And did you do any explicit things to build those relationships? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I did not. And would you now? Um, in some ideal world where I had infinite time and energy, absolutely. In reality of what I do, Um, I try and do like beginning of the year activities run differently than things that I do now. And there's certainly things that I do explicitly in my classroom to make my values really clear. Like with my freshman, I have a stamp chart. And so if when I go around, they're all doing the warm up, then they get a ready stamp. And so it's like, clearly what I want you to be doing right now is this. Um, And so those sort of like ways of communicating classroom expectations, I have better down but relationship building is not something that I've had a chance to work on extensively yet. That's reasonable. It's something I focus on a lot, which is why I asked if you right. <laughs> things. I'm always looking for more. It's a thing I think yeah. about pretty much all the time. Was there a moment in high school or was it later when you decided you wanted to teach? Um, I did a lot of tutoring kind of like all the way through. But it wasn't something that I thought that I would do because everybody told me that I was going to be a doctor. Um, My mom's a nurse. My dad's a doctor. Um, I'm really good at science. I love science. So, like, this wasn't a totally crazy idea. It was like, no, I really enjoy doing science. I also really enjoy doing math. Um, And it was something that I thought that sounded fine. And so when people were like, oh, yeah, you have like this super precision, you're going to be a surgeon. I was like, "Okay, I'm going to be a surgeon. I don't know. Whatever you Um, say. Right. And so that sounds fine. Sure. That's like what I know in my family. Um, And so I went to college and I was pre-med for two years. And then at the end of my second year, I was like, wait, 
I don't actually want to go to med school. <laughs> that was not ever really like my idea. That was just an idea that sounded okay. I didn't like all the classes that I had to sign up for sounded really fun and I enjoyed taking all those classes. Right. So I joked that I like took a whole year of organic chemistry just for kicks because I did. <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh wait, teaching sounds way better. Um, so then at the end of my sophomore year, I switched and somehow miraculously managed to have already completed enough of my graduation requirements that I could, I was still doing a math major, so my major didn't change, but I like had to fit in all of the like psych classes and education classes and student teaching. So in three semesters, I had to take all of my education and psych classes, but I did it. So you didn't And then I student taught. In college. Right. You didn't do a fifth year credential program. No. So we have a licensure program that you can do in college. And so I finished all of my courses a semester early. And then um, my last semester, it's like a 12 credit class that is student teaching. And then like once a week, we would meet everybody who was student teaching. Um, and then debrief and occasionally I had like things to hand in, but mostly it was just that massive portfolio. You will do this other part then. You are a foster parent. <laughs> I am. Um, and Actually, work- I am currently a legal guardian. You are a legal guardian. <laughs> happened through foster care. <laughs> Is it done now? It's done completely? Yes, in March. We. I went to court. I signed a thing. I told the judge that I promised to be a good guardian. And I'm hopefully holding up to that. (laughs) Is that different than full adoption? So we went through a lot of things and they're all like legal things that I don't quite understand the difference. So my options were like, um, I don't remember adoption even being an option. So my options were like foster with kin or guardianship. Um, and foster with kin is basically like, you're going to stay in foster care, but we just know that you're going to stay with the same person the whole time. So you're not going to move anymore. You're done. Um, and you know that you're in that spot. Um, guardianship gave me a little more freedom. So like, we don't have to, before we had to visit with a social worker every month. So my social worker came monthly to check in on me and make sure that there weren't anything that I needed um, and that I still was, like, in a safe house and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her social worker came every month to make sure that she was okay and was still doing well and didn't need anything from her social worker. Um, and so both of those things happened on a monthly basis. And then we had to ask special permission if we wanted to leave the state, which if you live in California is not so big a deal. But if you live in Massachusetts, it's a really big deal because if I drive an hour, I can be in three different states. Well, in, in San Diego County, if the child is not fully adopted, you have to, Mm -hmm. you can't leave two counties. Oh, that's how they fix the fact that California is So it's essentially (laughs) even, like, it's an hour. It's about an hour in any direction from where I am. Okay, that makes sense. So it's pretty much... Yeah, I wondered how that worked because I was like, you know, I can't go, like, anywhere, but you can go really far. Like, I couldn't take a kid to Disneyland without permission first. And I live an hour and a half from Disneyland. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So all of those things I no longer have to do um, because of the guardianship. Um, And then... I thought that the difference between guardianship and adoption was that, like, I still get a stipend. It's not the same stipend as we got when she was in foster care. Um, but then somebody was saying that you can still get a stipend if it's a hard-to-place student. Um, student. I'm so used to talking about kids as students. <laughs> um, a hard-to-place kid um, with adoption, then they'd still get stipends, too. So maybe the difference is that guardianship technically ends when she's 18. Okay. Not that I'm going to kick her out when she's 18. So, like, she's going to stay for as long as she wants to. And, like, if she decides to go to school, she's welcome to go to school from home. If she decides not to go to school, I will help her until she, like, is actually on her feet. But I think that that might be technically the difference. It's okay. that it expires when she's 18. Okay. This is a really stupid question. So prepare yourself. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to not think it's stupid. <laughs> okay. It's two because I thought of a better one, but I want this one first. How has your life changed since child in house? Like, okay. I'm talking 
normal everyday stuff because there's a second part in the classroom question. Yes. Um, Just the basic, like, especially I have really bad allergies and right now it's allergy season. Um, Other years I would literally just hibernate. Like I would go into my house where I could control the fact that there was no pollen and I would sit on the couch and I would feel miserable and I would stare at the television and then I would occasionally microwave something for dinner and that would be it. Um, Whereas now I feel an obligation to like move off of the couch sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Not a whole lot more than that because I stayed in bed like all morning because she had a friend sleepover last night. And so it was like, oh, you have somebody else to entertain you. I'm going to just stay in bed. Um, but just that idea of like, even when I'm not feeling well and I want to just like veg out and do nothing, there's somebody else there, Mm -hmm. which, um, I haven't lived with anybody since I had a roommate in college. So there were a lot of years of like living totally on my own, not even like anybody else in my apartment. Um, and so just adjusting to like having somebody else who like wants to know what time dinner is and maybe we should have dinner at a regular time instead of just when I happen to feel hungry. Um, and then accommodating somebody else's schedule and that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. I feel that. Has it changed (laughs) the way that you interact with kids at school? Yes. (laughs) How? Uh Um, well, so one my, one of my coworkers was saying that her hardest years, probably not of like her whole life, but like some of her hardest years of parenting were when her students and her kids were the same age. Because when you're dealing with like a toddler at home, but high schoolers at school, like there's substantially different things that are happening. Sometimes. Um, yeah, right. There should be. <laughs> At least you can tell the high schoolers that you shouldn't be acting like this. Um, but when she had like the same age all the time, then you like go to school and you deal with it for eight hours at school and then you come home and it's just like more of the same. Um, and that's been hard this year because she's now 14 and I teach 14 year olds. And just like some of those, like I find myself saying the same things at school that I do at home and I'm like, did I bring that home or did I bring that to school? Or like, I feel like I'm still having the same fight that we were having over the weekend on Monday. Um, and so some of my, like, I think that my frustration levels are a little bit not as high at school as they used to be because there's not that downtime at home. Yeah. I could see that. Have you had to um, navigate the educational system now from the other side as a parent? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And how, I guess, because you're sort of like an interesting case, because if I talk to anyone else who's a parent, they've been navigating it, most of them, since the child was baby person. Right. Right? (laughs) Like I saw a brand new baby today. This person's going to, that parents are going to have lots of years to figure that out. Right. And it goes in order and you find out the whole history. And yeah, I find out the history. Sometimes I find out the history from the teachers instead of from having known it because like her middle school counselor knows her for longer than I have, which is totally weird. How has it been navigating from the parental side? I certainly have had the benefit of really knowing the system. Okay. Um, And also knowing people within the system. So, like, I know who to go to when I need to advocate for something, which has been super awesome. And I also know all the options that I have, Mm -hmm. which I feel like most parents don't know. Um, And especially with foster kids in general, their needs are greater than your average child. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been really helpful for me to know what all my options are. Because I remember talking to, in, like, foster care training classes, they were saying that there's an option that you can have, like, an educational advocate Um, if you want to go with you to like IEP meetings and stuff like that and, um, having that conversation and thinking at that point that like, but honestly, the foster parent might be the one who knows the most about the kid, even though they don't know the kid as well as somebody else might, because I've sat through so many IEP meetings where the liaison doesn't have them in class. So there's like the special ed person who's supposedly in charge of their IEP, but if they don't have a chance to see them in class, they don't talk to them very often. Um, if it's in the first half of the year, then you have a teacher who's, you know, sees them once a class for, you know, a couple months. Um, 
And then there's a coordinator who's there who has never met them and probably will never meet them, meet them again outside of this meeting. Um, mm-hmm. And their role is just to know what the options are and provide them. And then that's basically everybody who's in the meeting unless they have a lot of specialists. So like, on the one hand, you are the one who knows the most, but I didn't realize at that point, like how much you do need to know in order to be able to advocate. Like you can't advocate for something that you don't know exists. And so if you don't know what programs there are and what accommodations there are, like, because I have so many kids um, that have IEPs and I go to IEP meetings like all the time, like I can just tick off like what the, state test accommodations are and what the accommodations are. And I'm like, here are all these things that are options that I think of that are just like, if you're not in education, then you have no idea that those are things that your kid could get. And so I think it's like hugely helpful to have somebody who really knows the system who's on your kid's side. And all the people who are there at the meeting are totally on your kid's side, but um, they just don't know them as well enough to know what being on their side really looks like. Do you, um, have a high population of foster kids at your school? Um, probably. I don't know what the numbers are. Okay. Um, but I certainly know that I've had several foster students that I've known have been foster kids. Um, and sometimes you can have a kid come through and it's just like, unless you are specifically looking, nobody tells you, which I think is really interesting because in some ways I'm like, yes, that's their home life and that's private and I don't really need to know that. But in other ways, it like really affects their life. Like that's huge and that there's a lot of things happening and that maybe I can approach how I talk about things a little bit differently. Um, I do know that our homeless population is increasing and that they're starting to navigate that confidentiality a little bit differently and tell teachers when students are homeless because then you can not to you know go up to the kid and be like oh I heard that you're homeless and let's talk about that but (laughs) if you want them right um but if you want them to stay after school and they're not staying after school then you understand why that's happening and that then you could offer like oh by the way if staying after school is hard for you maybe you could stop by during lunch right um as a totally casual like here is an alternative that you may not have considered let us put these things into place for you Um, and I think that that's, it's that balance of like what's confidential and what's not. And when it's high school students, especially, you know, some amount of that is their right to share or not. And some kids are totally comfortable just like saying that, like I had kids who would just blurt out in class, like, oh, my foster mom, this, then my foster mom, that. And I think it's really great when kids are that comfortable and it normalizes it and it makes it so that. Other students in the class are like, ah, foster care is a thing. Some kids are in that. That's cool. Um, But it takes a sense of self-confidence to be able to reach that point that not all kids are at. No, and teenagers are not great at not saying things like, why are you in foster care? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do you... No, I can't. Uh, do you find, does your school do a lot of tracking? Yes. And how I feel about that is very complicated. So we do not send students to out of district placements. We have an autism program in our school. We have a life skills program in our school. We have a one step above life skills program in our school. Um, I have that contained class of students with severe learning disabilities who are still learning algebra one. Um, So we have a lot of students who are at a lot of different levels. Um, And so in one sense, we need to have a lot of levels of all of our classes. Um, And then in the other sense, I wonder what would happen if we just didn't have so many levels. Like it's really frustrating having a class of seven because I can't do a lot of the things that I would like to be able to do. And I wish that there were just more kids in there. Um, And so last year, what we had was we had for algebra one, we had fundamentals of algebra one, which was any who via some magical formula they decided needed math every day. Um, So for 90 minutes every day. 
And so there was a track of students there. And then there was regular Algebra 1. There was Honors Algebra 1. And then there were kids who were take geometry freshman year. Mm-hmm. But our eighth grade program doesn't really have an Algebra 1 and eighth grade program. So they also took a semester of Algebra 1 that just sort of covered the second semester stuff that they don't really get to in eighth grade. Because presumably if they learned things about lines in eighth grade, then they just remember them magically. I don't know how well that really works out, but if they're honors kids, they pick things up fairly quickly, apparently. So, yeah. So, I don't like the idea of kids skipping grades. I really hate that idea. Like, I think that if you want to get to calculus in high school, which is kind of a weird thing for me, like, I did it, and it was great, and it was nice to get into college and already have a full year of calculus done because I did the BC calc. Um, But, like, I think that skipping eighth grade content in order to just, like, teach Algebra 1 in eighth grade is a terrible idea because there is content in eighth grade and you can't just, like, skip things. Um, So (laughs) there's my thought on, like, accelerating kids. I don't like it. But... Um, so we had all of those different classes last year and a lot of the students who ended up in the fundamentals level were students who were fully capable of doing algebra one at a regular pace, but were behavior wise, maturity wise, not, um, really getting all of their work done. And so then you have kids that are tracked behaviorally instead of tracked, um, based on what they are capable of doing. And so I was like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we just mix these kids in with all of the other kids? And then we would have some peer models and we would have some nice questioning happening. And then there would also just be some peer pressure, a positive peer pressure to like Behave grow up properly. a little bit and act like a high schooler. Because I have kids this year who just like I turn around and they're on the floor and I'm like, I don't mind kids who sit on the floor. Sitting on the floor is totally cool. But I have kids who like fall on the floor on a regular basis and I'm just like, I, like, I signed up for high school. I don't really understand how every time I turn around, you're, like, on the floor again. And so, yeah. And so, like, I think that if there were enough other students in the classroom to look at them and be like, dude, it's really weird that you're on the floor, like, all the time, that maybe that would not happen. So this year, we tried to do that, like, one day of our alternating schedule, we would have them all mixed together. And then the other day of our alternating schedule, just the kids who needed the extra support would have the extra block. I was like, hey, we'll have some peer models. We'll have some positive role models. We'll have some great questions. We'll have big enough classes that I can actually have good conversations with everybody and we could have enough data. Um, but because of, I don't know what factors... Um, basically everybody in my class ended up still being like the kids that I had last year. So I didn't have anybody who was at a higher level. I just had more students. (laughs) So I really want to advocate for not tracking, but I have a really hard time because we have so many kids that have so many needs. And I think if it happened further down well they don't track in middle school I don't really understand what happens so like there is no tracking in middle school there is just middle school unless they're in like some special program um but I have a lot of students with language-based disabilities this year so I have a lot of students who are like learning phonics in high school whoa yeah so when I say substantial disabilities I mean like really substantial and those kids who are learning phonics in high school are they're not even in my contained class they're in my other like regular mixed together class with a support block um so next year we're going to be running a language-based program and so on the one hand I'm like awesome let's get the supports that we need for these kids because if you can arrive at high school and have that much trouble reading like you're at a serious disadvantage Mm -hmm. like being a couple grade levels behind in reading is bad, but being at that point where you're like working on the, oh, it's been a long time since I've been to a meeting. I don't know what the different programs are that they're using, but anyway, 
All right. Uh, we're going to do this last part, the standardized test part where I ask you really quick questions. You ready? Okay. All yes. right. Do you have catchphrases? Um, one of my students has taken to repeating this year, get your work done at me. <laughs> so apparently I say get your work done a lot, but it's really annoying when he repeats it at me. So I kind of am sorry that <laughs> if I say that a lot. <laughs> Yeah. I don't have a good one. No, I <laughs> like that. One. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just annoying. <laughs> no, because all the ones that we say over and over are annoying. Yeah, uh, right. Is, Anything that's re repetitive is annoying. Mine like that is, this is by yourself time. Nice. Which is essentially code for shut up. Yes, but it's a very nice way of saying it. <laughs> right? Um, and the kids will look at each other and go, this is by yourself time. <laughs> I love it. Jerks. Uh, what was your favorite subject as a kid? Math science. Okay. Can I do that? Uh, <laughs> <think>. sure. <laughs> um, what is a new thing you have learned to recently? Long pause as I contemplate. Well, you literally just showed me a new stitch that you learned to do. Oh, yeah. I learned a new crochet stitch today. There we go. That's a thing. I was like, this should be easy for you. <laughs> yeah, that was her. All right. Uh, what is a song that you are listening to over and over recently? I've been listening to so many podcasts that I have not been listening to music. Okay, what's your I favorite podcast because right Because allergies happening. Um, so yours and the get and... Um, 99% Invisible are my top three. Okay. I have to listen to 99% Invisible. Um, who is a person you think everyone should follow on Twitter? I thought about, like, reading these questions, listening to these questions again before so that I would actually have answers, and I I'll edit not. out the part so, where you mumble. It's right. Fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I know. You follow everyone. Is I don't, and this makes me sad. Oh, you could follow the, like, blog bot. That one's good. There you go. Follow the blog bot, and then you like are following anybody, everybody. Uh, what is the best PD that you've ever been to? PCMI, Park awesome. City Math Institute. It's a three-week program in Utah in the summer that's not actually in Park City anymore, but they're still calling it Park City. Where's it going to be? It's like a half an hour away in some town that starts with an M. Oh. That's hotter. And there are goats, and they play, um, is it polka? They play music at the conference center. When we went to visit, <laughs> like, all the time, what I'm I don't imagining know if they got to turn off when they were polka. there. <laughs> I'm imagining goats playing polka music. Um, yes. <laughs> sorry. Uh, what is the TV show that you have watched from start to finish the most times or your favorite? Doctor Who. Hmm. Uh, what is the weirdest place you have run into a student? I think just like in town, but sometimes you get that look of like, wait, you live here? Or especially you get that look on Monday after you see them over the weekend and they're like, I saw you. Yes. I love, I love that sentence, like you weren't there for the interaction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or sometimes they don't, like, don't actually like come up and say hi, they're just sort of like, all right away and they're like I saw you and it's like yes and they're like why it's like because I live here <laughs> you exist outside of the school yeah what is the what is something you are really good at organizing organizing people organizing things organizing events just organizing you are good at that um what would you be if you weren't a teacher I probably would have gone into medicine. I don't know if I would have stayed a doctor, um, but that's an option. Or I really enjoy web design. So, like, if I had to decide now what to choose instead, then, like, designing websites, somehow organizing things would be super cool. What is your favorite iPad app or terrible game you play on your iPad or phone? So, my new game that I just got on my phone that is awesome, is called Miko-rama. Could you survive the zombie apocalypse? Refrance would like to know. I would like to think that I could outsmart them by hiding in some corner and, like, not being accessible. But 
Not by fighting. (laughs) (laughs) I like look at my cabinets and I'm like, there's not enough food in here to survive ever. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Sadie would like to know if you had to get a tattoo, what would you get? A clownfish. I like clownfish. Before Nemo existed, I liked clownfish. And then I love Nemo because, oh yeah, that's the movie that I've definitely watched the most times. Nemo? Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. And then there's Finding Dory is coming out so soon. I'm so excited. Is there a question you would like to add to the end of this? If you could change one thing in your school, what would it be? Um, I'm trying to think what, do you have an answer already? No, (laughs) I just came up with the question. (laughs) We can both think about that. (laughs) I am. Now I'm thinking about it. What would I change in my school? Because my school does a lot of things really well. I would work harder to give kids more opportunities to do extracurricular stuff because of the way that our, my school is set up. It's a college path school, right? So every Mm -hmm. kid it's no, there's zero tracking in the whole school. And every, because everybody is, yeah. Everybody's on the same path. And the kids who struggle end up using their 45 minute elective twice a week to be an intervention. Yeah. And lots of them like it. Like they genuinely right. like the extra help and the extra time and all of that. But it means but that. But it's nice to also have. They don't get to do drama and they don't get to play rec games and they don't get to do engineering. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they can never do those things. It just means like the kids who struggle are going to spend four years in intervention. Right. I thought of my thing. Okay. We've been talking in school a lot about consistency Mm -hmm. and... Like every fall we start out and we're like, all right, we're all going to be on the same page and we're going to decide what our rules are and what are things that we care about. And then we're going to clearly communicate them to our students. And then we're going to do that. And then the whole school environment will just feel much safer because students know where the boundaries are. Mm-hmm. And September goes pretty good. And then the whole rest of the year, it just doesn't happen. I would love to have just one person who was the Dean of Discipline. And that one person would, you know, get a solid relationship with all of those kids and would make clear boundaries and would hold students to those boundaries and then everybody would know what they were supposed to do and we would all feel so much better about the fact that they're not children like bursting into my classroom. I would call them the dean of school culture. That's a much nicer name. (laughs) Perfect. I want one of those. All right. Last question. Ready? All right. And you can use this whole week because it's Saturday. What is the best thing you did today slash this week? I planted a garden today and I'm super excited about it. So we went and we bought flowers and we bought vegetables and we maybe got things that are actually appropriate for the place that they're going. So hopefully the things will grow this year. That's very exciting. Thank you for talking to me. Bum, ba-dum, ba-dum, bum, bum. I did have a friend this week ask me if I was going to get some actual music in here, but I'm actually really enjoying this, so if you hate it, let me know on Twitter or the blog. Uh, if Tina said something you're interested in, you can find her on Twitter at at Kristen85, which is C-R-S-T-N-85. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at at Germain. But if you're listening to this, you already know that. Uh, I hope that your week is amazing and you have a wonderful evening. Bye, bye, bye.